0: Well, from where I was sitting, the singing sounded amazing this morning, and it's great to see and hear um, all the young people that are here participating as well in the worship service. It is a blessing to be in this assembly this morning. Um, With our theme this weekend being Be Real, and we're talking about masking, you know, putting on a fake image and a fake identity and so on, I wanted to ask the question this morning. The question is, who are you? And I don't mean that from the... existential kind of way, or even not as like the Caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland, who are you? None of that kind of thing, but who are you in the sense of how do you identify, how do you describe yourself, what terms would you use to explain who you are to another person? And although we... We probably don't admit it because we don't like labels a lot of times. All of us identify ourselves within a certain social dynamic, a certain group, maybe a group of peers and and along those same lines. In fact, I was kind of thinking of the idea, since, of course, a lot of teens here, you know, a lot of, all of us would think back to our time at school, and you that are still in school, about the different peer groups and the different social groups there, and for fun, I started doing some Google searches about all of it, and it all took me to the movie Mean Girls, and I thought, well, I won't put pictures from Mean Girls up on the screen, but there's actually a Wikipedia page that listed all the, apparently Wikipedia has definitions for all the different current social groups at school. So here they are, we got geeks, jocks, drama kids, skaters, hipsters, scene kids, prep, nerds, emo kids, stoners, rockers, band kids, gangbangers, punks, gamers, and on and on and on. Wikipedia actually had a list for for us so that we could know all the different social groups that are out there. What's funny is when you're in school, you don't act like you belong to any. You always identify everybody else as being part of one of those groups, but you're just a normal kid, right? That's kind of what we have this tendency to do. But what's neat is, you know, I always assume that those different social groups and identifiers kind of went away as you got older, but, but they really don't. Now, they change their names, but even as an adult, there's still labels. There's still these different groups that people identify with. It's not usually a name like, well, you're a skater and I'm a, an emo kid or something like that. It's, it's usually more like by what kind of car you drive, where you live, how much money you make, you know, and things along those lines when you're an adult. But still, people are looking for an identity and they're looking for something to cling to. And we have that tendency to peg people into a certain identity, and then it's almost like they're stuck there. Have you ever tried to change your social group when you were at school? That's a challenge. To change your identity from from the one of the band nerds to being a, a kid who does, you know, let's say you're one of the skater kids, or if all of a sudden you decide one day you're going to become a gangbanger. I mean, it doesn't usually work that way, right? I tried to be a gangbanger one day. It just didn't really, really work for me. You know, it just it doesn't. You can't usually change your identity or how you're pegged there in those different social groups. But where this becomes a challenge is when you mature. When you mature past a certain identifier that people placed on you. You know, I always, as you can imagine, I kind of was labeled as the bad kid in class often because I was loud, I was rambunctious, I got bored really easy. When there was silence, I felt like I needed to fill that silence with something. For example, it took like five minutes longer for communion than this morning than I was used to, and I was about ready to jump out of my seat. I told Zinni, we need to move things along. And then Xander, who thinks like me, he goes, it's going really slow today. That's my boy right there. But So, I mean, we kind of have these identifiers, and I was labeled as, I'm the problem kid in class, and teachers, I think, would spread that. They'd be like, oh, you got Cliff in your class. I'd show up to school first day, and like, "Ah, you're Cliff, aren't you? And then my sister hated it because two years later she'd show up to the same class. She'd go, Oh, you're Cliff's sister. Right? I mean, it's kind of, we get these identifiers, we get these labels, and it's hard to get past your past. It's hard to move past the identity that people peg you into, and a lot of times we just kind of live into that identity, we conform to it, and we don't change, and we're living a life that we're not happy with, we're living a life that depresses us, we're living a life that's ending nowhere, and we want to change, and it is difficult. Well, our lesson this morning is very simply this and it goes along with the whole idea of, you know, identities and mask and being real. My lesson for you simply is, let Jesus change your identity. I guarantee it that you talk to any of the adults here in this congregation, they would tell you that they are not the person they were, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, some of you 50, 60, you know, years ago. They've changed. And it's not that so much they've changed, but they allowed God, they allowed Jesus to change their identity. Way back when they were identified as a sinner, but now they're identified as a saint. Way back when they had a past, they had things that they've done that they're not proud of, they've lived lives that they shouldn't have lived, and people say, well, there's no hope for you, you can't change, that person's a lost cause. But Jesus changed their identity And it's my task this morning to encourage all of us to continue to let him. With that in mind, open up your Bibles and we're going to work through one passage of Scripture. So I need you to, everybody has a Bible, pull it out, turn it up on your phone because we're going to follow together. We're going to look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and you probably got a, a heading there in your Bible, it probably says something along the lines of, Jesus healing the blind man. Before this miracle happens, though, if you back up in chapter 8, in verse 58, toward the end there, Jesus makes this great statement about himself. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you that before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you're new to the Bible, that might not mean much to you, but that's a huge statement. When Moses stood before the burning bush, actually got on his knees and holy ground, all that, there at the burning bush, God in the burning bush told Moses, what was the name that he said? He said, tell the Pharaoh that I am sent you. Okay? Powerful statement for deity. Jesus is referring to himself here as that great and eternal God. Powerful Jesus. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And people didn't like that. Verse 59, they tried to kill him. Because people didn't like Jesus. We go on though, chapter 9. As he passed by, so after he left the temple because they wanted to kill him, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Here's a man whose identity from birth has been his disability. Ever known somebody like that? That's how they're always labeled. That's the kid in the wheelchair. That's the kid with the weird birthmark. That's the kid with the goofy ear. That's the kid that wears glasses. That's the kid that's short. You know, I mean, all of that, right? You, you kind of, you have this thing from birth and that's the identity that you're labeled. Here's a man from birth who was blind and his disciples asked him. So the disciples see this man who's birth, who's from birth has been blind and they asked Jesus, they say, rabbi, rabbi, a word for teacher. They go, teacher, who sinned this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. See, it was the common belief of the day that if you had a disability, you did something wrong or your parents did so God was punishing you. How would you like that as your identity? So maybe you're born with some kind of thing. I mean, whatever it was, I got flat feet, okay? Everybody goes, he's got flat feet. His parents probably sinned. That's why God punished him with that. I mean, that was the identity they had back then. So this guy's blind, poor guy. And now everybody looks at him and goes, Sinner? Or his parents must have sinned. What did they do way back when? So they see this blind guy, and the disciples ask Jesus, Who sinned, he or his parents? Jesus goes, It wasn't him that sinned, but it's an opportunity for God to show forth how powerful he is. So they think that, well, this man must have sinned. That's why he's blind. That's how they identified him. They always said, blind man sinner. That's how they identified him. You know, just like you always being pegged the nerd you know, or something like that, right? It's kind of thing. Blind man, he must have sinned. Jesus goes, it's not because of sin, but it's an opportunity to do a good work. I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I come to make a difference. And there's kind of a play on words there because blind people can't see. It's dark. Jesus is the light. He's making a point there. But he goes on, though. And in verse 6, while he said this, he does something pretty outlandish. So he says, I am the light of the world. And then as he says that, he spits. I know your parents told you not to. I don't recommend you do it. But Jesus here, as he's talking, he spits on the ground. And if that's not crazy enough, Jesus, that likes to be provocative at times to catch your attention. Jesus goes down and makes clay, mud, out of the spit-covered dirt. Okay? And then he takes the spit-covered dirt and puts it on the blind guy's eyes. Poor blind guy. But, I mean, he's already been picked on since birth, right? I mean, everybody always called him a sinner. That's why he's blind. Jesus is so mean to him, he puts spit in his eyes. No, what does Jesus do? Jesus puts this mud on his eyes and then tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sim. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. So the blind guy with mud in his eyes hobbles some way over to the pool of Siloam, washes his eyes and all of a sudden, ha ah, you know, he can see. In my mind, that is the craziest scene I've ever seen, okay? First off, with the idea of Jesus doing this I wish I knew the exact reason why he chose mud and spit to be the avenue for this miracle, but I don't know. But the man now can see, and therefore, verse 8, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as the beggar, oh, so now we find out another identity this guy had. They called him the blind guy and the beggar. So that's how he was known in that community. There's the blind beggar, and they saw him, And they're like, wait a second, isn't this the guy who used to beg? Other people are like, no, 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 it's just another guy that looked just like him. They're making excuses. And while they were saying this, they asked the guy, how in the world were your eyes made open? How did this happen? Verse 11. He answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me to go to Siloam wash and I went away and washed and I received sight. So they go, how'd this happen? The blind man or the formerly blind man says, well, the guy who everybody calls Jesus put dirt in my eyes and now I can see. So they probably already think, blind guy, beggar, now he's on something because he's not making any sense. But they go, well, where is he? And then the blind guy, I love his answer. Verse 12, the blind guy, when they ask him, where is he? The blind guy says, I don't know. Why did he know? Because he couldn't see beforehand. So Jesus left, and he didn't know where he went until he washed his eyes. So here's the guy that's been identified as blind from birth and a beggar, and they go, what happened to your eyes? He goes, I can see. They're like, "Uh uh-huh, really? Who did it? Jesus. Where is he? I don't know. Okay. Verse 13. So instead of celebrating with the blind guy who can now see, the, the sight guy now, They decide to make his life more difficult, so they take him to the Pharisees. Pharisees were a group of people in Judaism. They were Jewish people who thought they were more holy than everybody else. They were really good at condemning everybody for their unholiness, even though why they themselves were unholy. You know what we call those people? Hypocrites, right? They're mask wearers. So they took the blind guy, or the guy who was formerly blind. Let's not identify him as something here. So they took him to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath on the day in which Jesus made the clay and opened His eyes. So Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath day, the day that was supposed to be holy, that Saturday there, to try to, you know, that's when He did this miracle, but the Sabbath day was supposed to be a day where He did no work. So here's what happens. The Pharisees also were asking Him, How did you receive your sight? And He said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. I noticed that the blind man conveniently leaves out the part about the spit. Notice that? He never mentions that he spit in the dirt first. He just says he put clay in my eyes. Maybe he, the blind guy couldn't see it and didn't know. But, alright, so, it says, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So here's what happens. They bring the blind guy to the Pharisees and the Pharisees start asking him questions and the guy talks about how he can now see and the Pharisees go, well, whoever did this miracle can't be from God. So, you're acknowledging the fact that the blind guy can now see, but the guy who did this miracle must not be from God because he did it on the Sabbath. Shows how thick their mask was, right? That they couldn't see. There's blinders on that mask. They forgot to pop out the eyes on it so they can see they're blind here. They can't get what's actually going on. So there's a division among them. So then they decide to pick on the blind man more. So they said to him, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? So they go, formerly blind guy, what do you say about this person who opened your eyes? And the guy says, well, he is a prophet. And the Jews didn't believe him that he had been blind and received sight. So now, they first they try to bash Jesus. Well, Jesus can't be from God because there's no way a guy from God would do a miracle on the Sabbath day. Bad line of argument. It's always good to do a miracle even on the Sabbath day. Then, he's, then they decide to bash the blind guy. They think he's lying. They don't believe him. So they keep questioning him and now they call his parents. So first they're picking on the blind guy. Now they call the parents of the man who was born blind and they ask him, Is this your son? I don't know where they found him, how long it took, but this is a huge scene now. Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. How he sees? We do not know. Or we do not know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's an adult. He can make his own statement about it. So they bring the parents in and they go, we have no clue what's going on. All we knows is that he was born blind. We can attest to that. Now he can see how? We don't know. That's the best evidence for the miracle right here too. Here's people that don't even believe in Jesus or anything, but they're still attesting to the fact that it happened. So then they ask this about the parents and so on. And the parents didn't want to actually answer that they believed in Jesus because they were afraid of the Jews. So verse 24 A second time, they called the man who had been blind. So now they call the man who's blind in again, and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So now they change their argument again. They say, well, there's no way that Jesus could be from God because we've already given him the identity of sinner. Therefore, there's no way that he did it. It must have just been something from heaven that went directly to you, and Jesus just happened to be around. So give glory to God. And the man says in verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. He goes, look, I don't know much about this Jesus. If he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I used to be blind, but now I see. So they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I love the blind guy. He answered them. So remember, the Pharisees are accusing him of all sorts of stuff. They're asking him all these questions about Jesus. And the guy who used to be blind can see so much more clearly than they can see. He answered them, I told you already. You didn't listen? Why? Do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become one of his disciples too, do you? I love it. I, I think he's being the, the snarky formerly blind guy now. Because he goes, oh, so you're asking me questions about Jesus. Do you want to be his disciple? Mic drop moment right there from the blind guy. So we go on they reviled him. So now they get mad. They go, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered, the blind guy here speaks a great sermon. He said to them, well, here's the amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Boom! He goes, you can't even see where he's at, but he's the guy that made me see. And then he goes, we know that God does not hear sinners, and if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, he hears Him. So the blind guy makes this great theological point. He goes, look, how would God work through Jesus if God doesn't work through sinners, and yet He's using Jesus to perform this miracle? Maybe Jesus is from God. Verse 32, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So, The formerly blind guy lays down spiritual truth on these people, but they're still caught up in their identity as being a Pharisee. They're not willing to let go of that identity and get a changed one through the evidence of the miracle that Jesus performed. So what do they do? They go back to their first argument, verse 34. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and you're teaching us, so they kicked him out. They go all the way back to the first argument. Well, there's no way that you could be teaching us anything because you used to be blind, and if you used to be blind, that probably means your parents were sinners. Weak, weak argument, right? But that's what they, they couldn't let go of that identity. They were sons of Moses or children of Moses. They were Pharisees. They were Jews. They weren't disciples of Jesus. And that was their identity, and they were not willing to let it go. And sometimes when you're not willing to let go of your identity, you say really dumb things. That's what they did. But now Jesus hears about this. And in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. Finding him, he said to him. So Jesus heard that they mistreated the blind man, so Jesus finds him. And Jesus asked him a question in verse 35. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? he doesn't really have a full understanding of who Jesus is. All he knows is that this man has to be from God because he performed this miracle. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, he is the one who is talking with you. So Jesus then gives the man his true identity and says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Son of Man. I am the one that you need to believe. And the man in verse 38 He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He's the only believer of this entire scene that we've looked at so far. Everybody else is looking for excuses. Not even the man's parents would confess Jesus here. But this guy falls down here, I'm assuming, and says that he believes and he worships him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see... So that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. What is he talking about? He's saying, I came to change people's identities. I came to help blind people see, the people who thought that they could see to become blind. Verse 40 those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things. And said to him, we are not blind too, are we? So now they get all upset. Well, how dare you identify us as blind people? We're not the ones who used to be blind and now can see, but we know that his parents are sinners, on and on and on. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus changed the identity of that blind man. That man was identified as blind man, beggar, sinner. Jesus turned him into a disciple. The Pharisees here that had the identity of being holy and being righteous, their identity didn't change at all. Well, they may be in the bad direction because he says, no, you're actually blind. I'm the light of the world, but you can't even see it. There's a whole bunch of lessons here from John chapter 9, and I won't go over all the ones I wrote down here, but ultimately, Jesus can make the blind see, and if He can make the blind see, and if He has the power to beat death, He has the power to change your identity. That's the point of all of this. If Jesus has the power to change this man... And if He has the power to even change you know, eternity from the way that He's able to resurrect from the dead, that means that Jesus has the power to change all of us. He has the power to change me. It's just up to us to let Him. We have to let Jesus change us. The blind man here, let Him. And when he heard the message of Christ after seeing the evidence that He was the Son of God, he said, "Lord, I believe." And he worshiped Him. The Pharisees, though, on the other hand, this, this miracle here didn't change him. you think it would. They didn't even deny that the man was healed. They just had to say that it was from someplace else or that it was a misunderstanding or so on. They wouldn't let Jesus change him. Jesus has the power to change us. He's changed my life. He's changed the lives of most of the people here, and He continues to change my life. You know, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. To put it a little bit more plainly, the New Living Translation, I like how they did this here. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become. The whole idea is your identity changes when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You used to be a sinner. You're not anymore. That's not to say that you won't sin. That's not to say that you're going to be magically just perfect in in every way. No. But your identity changes now. The world might still see the old you. You know, sometimes I come in contact with people that knew the old cliff, and I'm still embarrassed by the old cliff. But that's not who I am anymore. And I know talking to a lot of you, you have past that you're not proud of. Even the Apostle Paul who wrote that letter, he used to kill Christians, and he had a hard time shaking that identity. Okay, It's hard to get, you know, to get rid of how people identify you. But when you're in Christ, you are a new person. So I asked the question, who are you? I asked the question, what's your identity? We talked about how it's possible to get past your past. That is all possible if you let Jesus change you. You can have a new identity in Christ. I don't know what you're, how you're labeled. I don't know how you label yourself. You might have low self-esteem. You might look at yourself negatively. You might have parents who don't talk to you uh, nicely that, had, that label you. You might have teachers who label you. Your community may label you. And you know what? Because maybe some of your actions, you have been having different labels ascribed to you. But you can get past all of those. That doesn't have to identify you. You can be identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let Jesus change you. That's the lesson this morning. And it's a lesson for me. It's a lesson for all of you. We need to let Jesus change us. But if you're here this morning and you don't feel like you are a new creature yet, if you don't feel like you've started that new life in Christ, we want to help you. We can pray with you. We can study with you more. If you've never been baptized into Christ and experienced that new birth, a new beginning, we could even baptize you into Christ if, if you're ready. But if there's any way that we can help you, we're going to leave these front pews open. One of the elders will join me up here. And if you have a need, why don't you come? As together we stand and sing the invitation song.